Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Stand with me if you would. Hold your Bibles up high. Some of you are already at it. I'll tell you, I'm going to have to have you stick around and train the 11 o'clock service. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, I'm going to talk today a new series starting, and it's out of uh, a book I wrote years ago, and uh, not identical. It's uh, refreshed, but it's called Mastering Your Storms. And I thought it was appropriate. Every time we finish a series, I look to the next one and go, God, what's going on in our world? To me, church is not just about worshiping and serving. It's about information and training. What do we do when we leave here? How do we address the crises going on in our personal lives and in a world that seems to be out of control? Well, God is in control, so that's number one. We know that it may seem out of control, but God's got it under control. So we all have storms in life, and uh, so this book is in the lobby. You can pick up a copy of that when you leave. Uh, it actually is, is very good. I've written several books, and this is my favorite and little did I know that I would use a book I wrote to get me through one of my biggest storms. And so hopefully it will help you. Sometimes we create our own storms. There was a man who found himself at the pearly gates. And he was greeted by none other than, than Peter at the gates. And Peter asked him, have you done anything of merit while you were on earth? He said, well, I can think of one thing. He said, on a trip <clears throat> to the Bighorn Mountains in Wyoming... I came across a, gang, uh, a bike, gang of bikers who were threatening a young woman. I directed them to leave her alone, but they wouldn't listen to me. So I approached the largest, most tattooed leader of the gang, smacked him on the face, kicked his bike over, and ripped out his nose ring and threw it on the ground. Then I yelled back at everybody else, if you don't back off, I'll do the same thing to you. Peter was impressed, needless to say. He said, when did this happen? A couple of minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, some of you will get that at lunch. That storm didn't go so well. <clears throat> Sometimes we create our own, and uh, we just need to realize that <clears throat> in a world that is in turmoil, <clears throat> what happens is the, the goal or desire, if you will, of hell, because Everything has a spiritual backdrop. Those who are believers, we have Jesus in our corner, and there's the other corner, and in that corner is the opposition, the devil himself. As a matter of fact, uh, both of those spiritual entities influence our lives. Now, you know, as Christians, we hope that our influence comes from God, but we also know that the devil influences, and... Uh, there was a, just a, I don't know what it was back in the day, talk show, whatever, but you may remember these words, the devil made me do it. Was that Flip Wilson? The devil made me do it. Well, 
you know, as much as we thought it was cute, funny, whatever, when I was a kid, I'm thinking, you know, there's more truth to that statement, but the devil didn't make you, you allowed it. And so what I want to talk about today is to create a life that is very aware of the supernatural, and that's not something churches talk a lot about today is the supernatural, but we have the supernatural, and there's a lot going on in heavenly realms. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, if you want to turn in your Bibles or follow on the screen, verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Jesus was not impressed. It wasn't that the miracles weren't legitimate or real, but they had attached themselves to, to what they did instead of who they were in God, or in our case, in Christ. It goes on to say, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. This is why, to me, in a day, this day and hour, that Having a church is so absolutely critical. The church every Sunday celebrates the house built on the rock. We talk about our lives being built on Christ. And the devil's plan is to divide and conquer, to separate, to isolate. He'll do anything he can to separate us from one another. Because if he can separate us from one another, the Bible says that, that two are, are better than one. They have a greater return on their work. A strand of three cords is not easily broken. The Bible constantly tells us that we're better together than we are apart. If two or more agree on anything, on, we, we see all these scriptures, and yet we, we, and we live our lives maybe with a Christian presentation, but is that presentation connected to the rock? Because he said, many will come in my name and do these things. But he said, depart from me, I never knew you. The reality is our life is not about, we're not human doings, we're human beings. Who are we being? Are we connected to the rock? And it goes on to say, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, there are numerous reasons to be connected to the house of God. And obviously, I'm making a case about being connected to the house of God. Because after the pandemic, I recently was on the phone with a pastor friend of mine who has a large church in Texas, a 5,000-seat auditorium. And uh, I called him last week. We've been friends for many, many years. And I just said, hey, you know, how are things going? I said, what's going on in your world? Well, pre-pandemic... Uh, his church was running probably six, 7,000 regularly. On Easter, they would have 12,000 people. And uh, just, it was just a huge, wonderful church. And he said, well, this last Easter, just to let you know, he said we had 6,000 people versus 12,000. He said on Mother's Day, which is another one of our big days because they do all this Mother's Day stuff as a big church, he said we had 3,000, usually we have 6,000. So what I'm saying is this, that... The devil's plan for the pandemic was to do exactly what he's been doing, was to divide the church, isolate the church, separate people out so that you could be an easy target. And let me just say this to you, and those of you watching online, this is no condemnation, but this is a, power, uh, a pastoral admonition for you that it is very important for you to realize the day will come when you're going to need 
the church. And the church needs you. And so to me, the pandemic represented one of the greatest storms of my lifetime. If you could make the pandemic, paint it into a picture, it would be like a hurricane meets a tornado and swept across the nation. Leaving devastation, leaving people and businesses closed and families divided and, and people losing jobs. And all of those things were designed. You, you know, you can try to blame whichever political party you want, but it's not a political party. It's a devil and he's still alive today. And he's still resisting the moves of God. So the idea to me wasn't to shut down businesses. The idea was to shut down church, shut down faith, and have Christians screaming and crying and wondering what do I do in the midst of the storm that we're in? And many Christians today, and some of you watching at home, decided, you know what, we're going to change how we live. Well, let me say, you better do it by design, by the ordination of God, or you'll find yourself isolated, separated, and when you need help, there won't be help to be found. Because you haven't connected yourself to anything. You haven't connected yourself to other people. You can say, well, I'm connected on social media, I'm watching online, and I love the fact that you can watch online, but only if, if there's a good reason for watching online. We didn't do this to accommodate uh, the people who can get up in the morning and come to church. We did this to help people who don't have a church in another country, get sick, they're out, whatever, that, that you can connect to your church. But the Chinese symbols for crisis and storms are identical to those for the word opportunity. Find this interesting. Literally translated, it reads, crisis is an opportunity riding the dangerous wind. View crises as opportunities and stumbling blocks as stepping stones to the stars. My goal would say, hey, you know what? This might have stalled me. It might have pushed the pause button, but it's not going to stop me. And so we have to maintain faith. We have to maintain courage. We have to maintain a connection with other people. What we have dealt with throughout the pandemic and post-pandemic is people who have lost loved ones, people who have gone through things, and they call the church and, and numerous churches, obviously all over the world and around the United States. And the question is, who are you? Who are you? What are you connected to? We've done funerals for people we don't even know. They don't even come to church recently and, and just trying to help out. We're not closing the doors, but here's the point. We're never as good on our own as we are with other people. You make an investment. When you go to church, when you come to church or go to your church, wherever it might be, you're making an investment in other people. And the principle is very simple. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. When you give help, you get help. That's the principle of God. And so what happens is when we're not serving, when we're not worshiping, and we're not connected, we're not sowing any seed into the lives of others. It's very important that we understand that serving is as important as worshiping. Many people say, well, I'm a worshiper of God. That's great. But do you realize that these guys up here singing, this is not just a performance or a show to say, hey, that's good music. It's a part of the overall experience of the local church. But the greater experience, in my opinion, is serving. People who can worship, that's great. Worship, that's awesome. But until you're sowing into the lives of others and you're walking through the storms of life with others, who's going to walk through your storms with you? There will be nobody. And so we can excuse ourselves all we want. I'm going to get pastoral. I'm also going to meddle a little bit today because that's what I do. I'm not going to be too soft-handed because the storms are raging 
they're predicting in, by August, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fear monger because, quite frankly, I'm old enough to say I've lived a great life. Now, some of y'all young people may not resonate, may not resonate with you, but the reality is they're saying that fuel prices may get as high as six dollars a gallon in August. You might as well just come to church. It's a lot cheaper than going to Orlando, to Crazy Mickey World. No, listen, I'm telling you right now, we as a church can change the trajectory of this storm by worshiping, serving, praying, loving, helping, doing all these things. We can change it. But what we've done is we've allowed the government and those in influence politically to tell us how we're going to live our life. And we've got to stop it right now. And the Bible said we've got to reach out and we've got to reach in. Oftentimes during storms, we don't reach out. We go into hibernation. We stop. We, we become our own little island, if you will. And we, we begin to try to do things our own way. We don't want to tell people, I lost my job. This and that's happening. And, and we get shamed. When I was younger and, and uh, had no kids, but I, I was married and, and uh, didn't have much money. I was traveling and I didn't like it, but that's how I was making a living. And I'll never forget, there was a guy in the church that I attended when I wasn't preaching somewhere on a Sunday, and he was a big oil executive in Tulsa. And evidently, he had heard about my life and, and what I was doing. I was doing a lot of work for the unborn at that time and running across America and, and uh, to raise awareness and raise money for women in crisis pregnancy. Uh, ran 3,000 miles in 10 months. And I did 1,500 of those in 98 days. Ended up in Washington, D.C. Met with uh, presidential staff there. And so you don't make a lot of money for the unborn. Can I just tell you right now, you just don't. But thank God we're about to see shifts. And I don't mean to get political, but let me tell you, that baby in a womb is a human being. So you can get mad at me. I know what I'm saying is not politically correct. And I want to say, well, you know, don't jab me with a vaccine. This is my body. What are you going to do with it? Okay, so there you go. Get mad at me if you want to, but here's the reality. We have, we have fallen asleep as a church. We have fallen asleep. We have not taken a stand. We've been told if I take a stand, I'm a hater. Let me tell you, you're a lover if you take a stand that saves somebody else's life. It may come off as hate in the beginning, but it is love and pure love when you stand up for people. And so the reality is I'm going I'm running. I'm at that time. Uh, I don't know if you remember Steve Largent uh, was one of the greatest pass receivers of Seattle Seahawks. He was a part of that and came to my meeting and he contributed and so many wonderful people helped. But this one man, I'll never forget. He didn't give me money, but he started giving me clothes. Now you got to understand, this is a little bit embarrassing because I, I really it was either obvious I didn't have the money to buy clothes, <laughs> or he just thought I like you. I'm not sure which, but it was really hard for me because there was this part of me that was feeling the shame of, of his contribution, and God knows I like clothes. I, I know that's rare. I know all, you think all women do, but I'm one of those dudes that just kind of likes clothes. You can call me whatever you want. I only answer to what I want to answer to. So I had to learn how to receive. I needed something. It was a storm in my life. Things weren't going that great. 
And I had to learn how to allow somebody else into my world. You see, the challenge when we get into storms, we don't want to tell somebody for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's embarrassing. Maybe we made a mistake. Maybe we did something wrong. Or maybe it's just that uh, things haven't gone well for us and we're ashamed for anybody to know. And so we, we pray to God, God, help me, help me, help me. And somebody comes to help you, but you don't let them because you don't want to let them know what's going on in your life because you're embarrassed by it. There's a story that I read some years ago. It's just kind of a funny thing. The storm's coming, and there's a, a man who lived in a three-story building, and, and so somebody came in, in a car and said, you know, uh, man, the storm's coming. You need to get in, and we need to get out of here right now. He said, no, it's okay. It's okay. So sure enough, the waters began to rise. He goes up to the second story, and by that time, he had no way out. A boat comes by and says, hey, you know, get in. Man, this storm's going to get worse before it gets better. So he said, no, no, I'm fine. So he goes up to the next story, and finally, a helicopter comes by and says, you know, this is your last-ditch effort. This is going to consume this building. He said, no, no, it's fine. And finally, he drowns and dies and asks God, where were you? In, in the midst of that storm, where were you? He said, well, I was in the car, I was in the boat, and I was in the helicopter. And so what we have to realize is there are times that we ask God for help, but God sends somebody to help us, but we don't accept the help. In other words, we stay in our own storm. We, we want God to fix the problem or correct the storm or get us out of it when in reality God's saying, I don't necessarily always want to get you out of the storm. I want to get you through the storm. Because in the midst of the storm is oftentimes where we learn to hear God, where we learn to trust God, where we learn to trust other people. When we, but we have to be connected. Many of you watching right now are disconnected. You feel connected, and, and you would love to feel like, but nobody's seen you in forever, and you're a Christian. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven, but the reality is you need a local church. And if it's not this one, find one. But the reality is you need a local church. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So we see here that, that fear divides and separates, and many people are living in fear today. What's going to happen if? What's going to happen when? But if you understand the love of God and you're around people who love God, fear has no place in your life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What are you hearing or better yet, what are you listening to? Better yet, what are you responding to? And it's very simple to find a, an earthly target. If you're a Republican, it's all the Democrats' fault. If you're a Democrat, it's all the Republicans' fault. And I, I tell you, it's amazing to me to see what's happened in our world, how much hate literally on both sides. There's just a ton of hate. And hate is not going to solve anybody's problem. And you can say, well, they're wrong and we're right and you do all that. But the reality is if we will love and we can lo say things lovingly, not hatefully, they might actually be heard. But the problem is they're screaming from both sides of the aisle. And so what happens when we come to church? We have everything represented in this room right now that's imaginable. Some of you like what I'm saying and some of you don't. And some of you will like what I'm about to say and others of you won't. This is the joy of being a pastor. And I found it just, all I've got to do is please God. The rest of y'all got to deal with him. But my reality is this. I'm called to challenge us to go to a higher level 
in the face of the storm, not to run from the storm, not to curse the storm, but to lift up a voice and praise to God who gets us through the storm. Don't hide, don't hibernate, be honest. You know, when I was in college, it was a Christian university, and I remember one day walking across the campus, and it wasn't large university, probably five, six, seven thousand students. And uh, we would, as a Christian university, it's a really unique thing. I think going to a secular college would be easier because in a Christian university, everybody's lights shining. Some of them are night lights and some of them are spotlights. Nonetheless, there's a lot of light. And I remember walking across campus one day and someone, we're, we're passing each other and someone said, how you doing? And of course, my response is, what yours is, it could have been a horrible day, but I mean, everything's great. Everything's fine. And if, you know, so I thought one day, I thought, next time somebody asks me that, I'm going to say, life really sucks right now. And you know, I promised what they would have said is great. See there? <laughs> we don't hear. We don't listen. We're not, it, it's like, it's like we live in this world that, that is in chaos and we're expected to say the right things. And, and instead of saying, you know, really, I'm going through a really hard time right now. Why wouldn't you tell someone that? If you're in the middle of a storm, don't you want someone to help you? Well, I understand that some people would rejoice in your suffering. They would think you deserve the storm that you're in. Here's the reality. I don't care if you deserve it or not. God didn't call us to be the judge. He called us to be the lover of people. So if you made a mistake, you've done something in your life, it's not our job to judge the mistake you made. It's our job to love the person who made the mistake. And what I've realized is that Oftentimes, it's not somebody else's fault. Sometimes, it's our own fault for being unwilling to be honest with ourselves and be honest with other people. You know, if somebody could ask me today how Mosaic's going post-pandemic, I would say, really, it kind of sucks. I really would. I mean, I was thinking this morning, they're looking at, how many of you have Time Hop on your iPhone? Time hop is a pretty cool feature. Any picture that you post, it pops up in your phone. You can, as a memory and... And I was looking at it, one of the pictures popped up of Mosaic pre-pandemic, and the lobby was just packed. And today, it looked like Moses had come in and let all the children out, you know. And I'm going, God, where are the people? Where are the people? It's not just Mosaic. It's other churches. Where are the people? What's happened to your people? What's happened to those that were committed not just to you but to your house? Where are they? And let me just say why I'm preaching this. It's because when the storms of life come and all you've done for the last two years is sit on your sofa and not interacted, where are you going to go? Who are you going to talk to? What do you expect? Well, you know, obviously we're not going to punish people, <clears throat> but what, what the devil will say is you've done nothing to deserve help from anyone, and many of you will believe it. It's not that we deserve help, <clears throat> but we sow and we reap. We sow help, we reap help. In James chapter 5, it says, Make this common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. 
Elijah, for instance, human, just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain, and it did. The showers came, and everything started growing again. Now, you have to understand, this is the same Elijah that at one point went and hid in a cave. You got to come out of the cave. When do you know to come out of your cave? First off, don't ever go to the cave. But if you go to the cave, somebody got to look outside the cave eventually to see what's going on. I grew up in Tulsa, and obviously Oklahoma is the tornado capital, or it used to be. I think we might be getting move shifting. Something's happening. But back in the day, we were it. And so I remember I grew up in a very small community. I had aunts and uncles that lived all around us. And one of my uncles had a, a storm cellar. Now, we, I think we've upgraded those to storm shelters. Would have been a great idea to mix a storm shelter with a wine cellar. Anyway, so <laughs> it's just a thought I had. Anyway, <laughs> so I remember when we were kids that we would get in the car and it was less as a half mile to their house. My mama would drag us up to, to my uncle and aunt's house and we would go down in the storm shelter and, you know, we had candles and you know, the, a transistor radio was the best you could have back then. We didn't have iPhones, iPods, iPads, I, 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 I. And I remember that we sat there what seemed like an eternity before someone finally opened that underground shelter to see what was going on outside. See, some people have gone into the pandemic, and they're still in the cellar with the door closed. You got to come out of that cellar someday. You, you don't have enough food down there. You don't have enough provision down there. You don't have enough provision in your home. You don't have, I know, well, you'll go to Walmart, I know, and it is entertaining. It's some of the cheapest entertainment we can go to. And so, but you have not come out of your shelter. You're wondering what's going on. Listen, you've got to come out at some point. Other storms will come. There will be other things that will try to drive you into isolation to be by yourself. But at some point, you have to come out. There's a saying, you can't control the winds, but you can adjust your sails. Can't control the winds, you can't control the storms, you can't control certain things, but you can adjust your sails. And we all adjusted in March of 2020. We all adjusted, and it was a hard adjustment, and, and, and the winds and the storms blew, and they're still blowing, but what we realized is we can't stay in the cellar the rest of our lives. We can't stay down the rest of our lives, so we have to come back up and say, you know what, I'm going to adjust my sails to where we are today, but I'm not going to stop living my life, and I'm not going to quit on God, and God is going to be first place. He's not just going to be a part of my life. He's going to be the first part of my life. I remember right after we were released and freed again to do what we wanted, that people say, I, I can't come to church. I might get COVID. Yeah, you're at Walmart. Where do you think COVID is most prevalent? <laughs> Give me a break. And so you're still in every day, every Sunday, you go back into the cellar, but you come out on Monday. But that cellar looks good on Sunday because the devil's convinced you that's where you need to be. I'm not saying this thing wasn't real. That's not what I'm saying. But it's going to be as real in 2025 as it was in 2020. It's like the flu. It's going to be around forever. you got to adjust your sails. 
I just tell people, get ready to meet with Jesus. I'll take, there, there are days I want to go. I just say, Jesus, can we go right now? I just want to get on my motorcycle and, you know, like, go flying. You notice I didn't say get in an airplane. It's supposed to fly. My bike ain't. One person says, don't go into isolation. Hibernating has its appeal, but when the waves are rolling and the winds howling, we need the support of friends who can give us perspective and bear some of the load. Isolation breeds self-absorption, which breeds more misery. One of the most effective ways to shake sorrow and shame and fear and experience joy and satisfaction again is to reach out and touch the life of another person. Our isolation oftentimes leads us to our devastation. We've not done anything. We've not sown anything. We've not given anything. We've done nothing. And so I tell people, when you want to pray and you're prepared to pray, ask yourself, have I walked in obedience to God? So God, when you pray, God, I, I sure hope my friend, my spouse, my kids forgive me. Before you pray that prayer, pray this, God, help me forgive those that I'm harboring unforgiveness toward. You're asking God for somebody to forgive you. The best way to get forgiven is to give forgiveness. So when we pray, we're not praying, God, put my trash over here to the side, and here's what I want you to do for me. What you need to be saying is, God, help me to forgive others. The minute you begin to forgive others, you never, ever have to ask to be forgiven. God will bring forgiveness. Going back to the moment of shame where you go, I, I, I don't know, I don't want people to know. I, I recall years ago uh, going with Larry Jones, founder of Feed the Children. What a great man. And uh, there was a, a, a hurricane down in the Gulf, and I flew down with him. And, uh, you know, there were many people who were devastated by that storm. And the interesting thing was the people who came to get the food were people who decided we're not going to be ashamed to ask for help during this storm. These were people who might have been well prepared for life, but the storm came and all of a sudden everything's gone. But then there were people that were full of pride that said, I'll never ask for help. Can I tell you all something? We all need help. You're not alone. You say, well, but, but I, created, <clears throat> I created my own problem. That's okay. God knows that. He's not holding it against you. As a matter of fact, the best thing you can do when you create your own problem is to admit you created your own problem. So what? And, and, and other people, there are arrogant people who will look at you like you're dumb. But just wait. Their day comes. I'm not saying that boastfully or that I'm glad but the reality is what I've realized is that we need help you know for many years I grew up being the guy that felt like I could navigate life by myself I grew up in a very tough neighborhood with a with a very strong father great dad but the reality is we didn't ask anybody for help matter of fact in my community people just didn't do that we were we were the John Wayne generation 
And some of you don't even know who he is. You need to Google the Duke. I'm going to go wrestle me a woman and kiss me a bear. I mean, that was the Duke's approach. may not be acceptable to some, but it works for me. When you're reaching out, please, this is very key. You're not, you're not being pitiful. And don't reach out and ask for pity. That's not what this is about. It's about strength. When you access help from someone else, it's not because you want them to feel sorry for you. You're looking for them to bring strength to you. Many people reach out all the time. They've learned that pitiful, being pitiful helps them. It's what I call getting negative attention. You don't want negative attention. You want the kind of attention that says, somebody step up and help me. According to uh, there's Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. You see, sometimes in storms, there is a time that you're looking for safety. But the reality is, I want someone after that storm and during that storm to help me have strength to get through it. And so I would oftentimes, when I previously pastored, would be, I don't really need prayer. I'll pray. I got this handled. And since I've gone through everything I've gone through, I realized it doesn't work by myself. I'm asking you to pray for me all the time. Pray for this church. Pray for what God wants to do. You see, when you engage in self-pity, you overestimate how big your problems are and underestimate your ability to deal with those problems. You might even feel hopeless and helpless. Self-pity can cause you to imagine worst-case scenarios like your life being ruined. That way of thinking becomes self-destructive as you you'll likely grow to believe that there isn't anyone or anything that can help you feel better or make you better. When you reach this point, you start to believe that any effort you put into changing your life is useless. So you won't take any action at all. You'll stay in your dark place. That's what's happened post-pandemic. Some of y'all, you're sad you lost your job. You're, you're self-absorbed. You have your self-pity. And, and instead of saying... I'm going to get out, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to worship. I'm going to serve. I'm going to love. I'm going to do everything the Bible says to do without any shame or fear. But some of you are still in your storm shelter. You're in your storm cellar, and you've decided to stay there, and you've, the devil even comes every day with, with reasons for you to be there. Well, I didn't need to go to church anyway. What did it really do for me? And you start talking about those kinds of things without realizing the power of connection. The power of connection. And, you know, to me, it's the most disturbing thing when I talk to other pastors around the country that are experiencing the very same thing. There are some who are doing okay or doing better than others. But the reality is this was a shot from hell to divide God's people and to separate God's people, and we must overcome it. Here's the reality, and the church, I think, is, has contributed to this problem because the church, rather than worshiping a perfect God, has tried to create a perfect body and will never be perfect. I'll never forget that, that I was taking about 100 kids on a missions trip 
uh, out of the country, and so we were required. There was this huge ropes course. This was back when they first came out, and uh, this ropes course was pretty unique in that there was like a 40-foot tower that you had to climb. Everybody on the team had to climb it, and while one person's climbing, of course, they had belayed, and they were all, you know, roped off and everything, but still, imagine 40 feet. It, it, it gets high. And there was a, what they called the pamper pole. It was a telephone pole that was about 30 feet high. We had to climb, stand on the top of it, and, and, and jump out and catch a trapeze bar 10 feet away. Oh, that's wicked, man. I remember I needed a diaper on that pole. And so, I, but, but there was one girl that I'll never forget. Her name was Robin. Robin was the most prim and proper high school student I'd ever met. I mean, she looked like Mary Poppins. And, and this is a rough course, okay? And so it came Robin's time to get on the wall. And she gets about halfway up the wall. And I'm telling you, out of her mouth, this is a Christian ropes course camp. She would make a sailor blush. I mean, words. I thought I learned how to cuss that day as a pastor. And I thought I knew every word of possible. This woman taught me some words. I thought, Mary Poppins on the wall? And on that particular day, I realized all she was doing was being authentic. And see, the church would judge her. She was in the midst of a storm. You're 20 feet up, and you're like, it's, you're going up or down. One way or the other, you're going. And, and she shamelessly became herself. For the first time, Robin Hackney became herself. Mary Poppins became like the rest of us who wanted to cuss on the wall. And she had the courage to do it out loud. Now, you'll never hear another pastor be proud of someone for doing this. But I was so proud of her. I thought, praise the Lord, we're all good now. Nobody's going to be shocked on this trip. Mary Poppins has opened her mouth. What she was saying is, I'm afraid but I'm not ashamed, and I'm going to keep on pressing through. We need each other to go through crises and storms together without judgment. Nobody judged Robin that day, including her pastor. Matter of fact, I was so extremely proud of Robin because up to that point, everybody thought Robin was the textbook Christian. And after that day, she still was. I'm not promoting anything except this, that storms are going to come, and the devil would love for you and me to isolate ourselves so that we're not going to be judged, so that everybody will approve of us, accept us. We say the right things. We dress the right way. And let me tell you, it's killing Christianity. I mean, all you have to do is look at the disciples. They were jacked up. I mean, Peter's cutting off ears. They're denying Jesus. They're betraying Jesus. Those 12... Wouldn't even have graduated from my high school. And yet Jesus picked them. All I'm saying is this. Is storms make us feel like we created something and everybody knows we're in a storm. And everybody's going to judge us for being in the storm. Therefore, we don't tell anybody we're in a storm. Now, some people will get this wrong and you'll think, hey, I'm going I'm to get everybody's attention. Look, I'm not talking about using or creating storms so that other people will come to your rescue. I'm saying authentically, when you get in a storm, be real in the midst of that storm. When things are not okay, say they're not okay. 
It's okay to not be okay. You'll stay in the storm a long time. You, matter of fact, you'll live in a storm if you deny that the storm exists. Jesus himself said in the world you have tribulation, or in other words, you have storms. Take courage. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the storm. I've overcome the tribulation. But you've got to take courage in the midst of that storm. And a part of that courage is that you are reaching out and having someone help you through that storm. We need each other. We need the church. We need to get through this stuff. I want to end it with this idea. I want you to listen to this. and Because this is the reality. We all want to be safe. As a matter of fact, we live our lives every day trying to be safe. And, and, and a lot of times, the safety that you're pursuing is stealing from you the adventure that God has for your life. I remember years ago, before I was even saved, laying on the ground at a construction site. I was a bulldozer driver. Trust me, it was fun, and I wish I could drive it on the road. I would crush cars. And I remember laying that day, lost as I could be. And I look up, and there's an airplane going across the sky. And it was like a voice from heaven said, one day. And I articulated this to my buddy working with me. I'll be on airplanes flying around the world. I knew my mission in life was partially missions. And right when everything started to un, un, be, I got saved, God began to use me. And, and one day I'm flying to San Jose, California to do a camp. And between Tulsa and, and Salt Lake City, Utah, the plane plummeted 10,000 feet. I mean, it just, I mean, people are throwing up bags going. This is what you called me to. I'll never forget landing in Salt Lake City, and I'm praying, God, please, for the first time in my life, let the next flight be delayed. Let it, matter of fact, don't let it take off for days so I can recover. I get on that airplane to go from Salt Lake to San Jose, and right when we're taking off, wind shear hits the plane. We're about 5,000 feet or less off the tarmac, and it goes sideways. That's what I said. All of that to say that had I allowed that moment, if I would have thought, I'm going to live my life safely, I'm never going to fly again, this is never going to happen, I wouldn't have preached the gospel in Sydney, in Melbourne, in Cape Town, in London, in Brazil. I wouldn't have preached the gospel if I would have given in. And I decided in that day, the storms of life may come, but if they take me out of this world, I go to a next world where all my bills are paid. Heaven is all-inclusive. You know, I mean, you can sit around the heavenly waters of heaven. I don't know who's going to be waiting on us, but there's got to be somebody. <laughs> Safety is in our wiring, and it is a rational human need that deserves to be satisfied to some degree. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. A healthy relationship with being safe can provide a much better life. But sometimes we place too high a priority on it as a result of having it constantly ripped away from us. We forget the value of danger and discomfort as a means to humble and propel us forward. Being safe and in control all the time is unrealistic. Pandemic. Let me tell you, now we've got the monkeypox. I have no idea what this is yet. And none of the politicians have any idea what this is yet. But guess what? 
smallpox, monkeypox, pimplepox. We're always going to have some pox somewhere. And you can live your life. Because I'm going to tell you, those of you who are afraid of COVID-19, monkeypox. How long are you going to stay in your cellar? Let me tell you, you don't have to fear anything. If you're afraid of dying, you're afraid of heaven. Unless you're going to hell. And we'll fix that in a minute. If you can scare a Christian with heaven, I question whether you're a Christian. Come on, scare me with heaven. And we're killing ourselves and our world in pursuit of safety. It makes us unaware of anyone else's needs. And it slowly creates a culture where everyone, it's everyone for themselves. We cannot be for ourselves. God called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I have never stopped. I, I finally one day I just said, you know what? I know I'm called to reach the nations of the earth. And I don't care if I, how I die. I don't care. I mean, I've been in coups in Africa where they told all the Americans to get out when I was living there. They said, you need to leave. And sure enough, it was right outside the house I was staying in with razor wire all around it. And I just thought, this is cool. I've realized that my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. That I would rather worship God in the midst of the people, with the people. And go to heaven worshiping God than spend every day in a cellar alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you've given us the courage and the strength and the promise that you would never leave us nor forsake us, that you would be with us always. So, Lord, I pray for those who have struggled to reintegrate, to live their lives trusting you again, to step back into the house of God. Lord, I pray for their strength. I'm not condemning them. I'm provoking them today. Step back in and worship God. Wherever you live, wherever you're at, Get back into the house of God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray for those of you who have yet to uh, make Christ the Lord of your life. Very simple prayer, make a profound difference. Pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for loving me so much that you gave your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, please text the word SAVE to 405-500-1310. From wherever you are, it's for you, not for us. It's for you to make the statement that on May the 22nd, 2022, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Do it right now. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.